0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: We call whistle, and this is true. We love to do the things that we're not supposed to do. We don't need robbing,
2: stealing, or mugging. In fact, will take it seriously. We're only bugging. Hello, and welcome to the Whistleblowers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Smith. I'm here as ever with Martin Gritton and Gareth Dobson. Martin Gritton, uh, big weekend last weekend. Turns out United aren't very good. Turns out Ranieri might not be very good and might be sacked soon. And Steve Bruce has gone. Your reaction, quickly, Martin, to those three big things?
1: A tough weekend for managers, Mark.
2: Yes. Very concise. Perfect. Uh, Gareth, have you got a noise that might accompany your feelings towards those three things? Uh... Yeah, that's exactly how I feel about it. Both intrigued and uh, not interested. So polar opposites. Um, Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thanks for being here yet again. Um, This is a good weekend. We were just saying this, weren't we, before the recording. There's some really good weekends, good weekends, good games happening this weekend. Um, And it starts, Gareth, on Friday night. I don't know what you think about Friday night games, but I actually am really into it. I'm really into the, under the floodlights, Friday night, get the weekend off to a bang, or obviously, if your team loses, um, write the entire weekend off. What are your thoughts? Oh,
0: yeah, I I bloody love them. They're brilliant. And generally, Mm. I I think... Um, we've had a really good quality of games on Friday night. And I think it's the same. Players, well, I mean, we spoke about this last week, but, you know, players get up for these games. It is more exciting. The fans get up for it. And and conversely, you see that on the pitch. You know, that that crisp autumnal chill, the floodlights, you know, it's very vibey, as as the kids say. And this one is, you know, Arsenal, uh, Aston Villa is sort of packed with intrigue.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's got to be better, hasn't it, grits? a night game on a Friday Got to be better, both for the fans, but also for the players. As an ex-player, talk me through it. Would you rather be Friday night or Saturday morning? It's obvious, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I love an evening game. I think I said that last time, didn't I? Under yeah. the lights. It's a big one. Um, it just feels... We're back to the lockdown victory list, though, isn't it? With the Champions League, Europa League, uh, straight into Premier League, I will lose track of where the hell I am. But at least we... No, that's as fine. As Gareth says, we've got a ding-dong. Uh, you know, these two teams parity in terms of league position. But... Um, you know, momentum taking Arsenal in one direction. So we'll see, we'll see how, that get, how that goes. But um, yeah, I love watching Villa. And Villa are just a banter team. They're my banter side. I love them.
2: Yeah, they're, they're probably one of my favourite sides in the league. But they haven't started that well this season, Gareth. They've been really hit and miss. Um, what's going wrong? I mean, the, the game at the weekend just gone. The sort of collapse at home to Wolves. It doesn't really happen that with Aston Villa. I'm not really sure what's going on there. But but more importantly for me, they haven't still quite clicked going forward. Obviously, they've lost my boy, Jackie Grealish. Um, Ings has come in, looks good. Watkins looks a little bit out of place. What, what do you make of it all? I mean, they, they're they now playing two
0: fairly dedicated centre-forwards, so I guess that's a change in the system. Um I It's probably hard to overstate how important Jack Grealish was, but it is probably worth... Yeah, you know, saying so when you lose hands down, your best player and the player, you know, they would look to and just give give the ball, give the ball, give the ball. So, you know, that they're looking at a new formation and you know, they, they have the wing backs, they have five at the back. Um, and you're also changing the fundamental way that you know you play and you no longer have that central give give the player a ball and see what happens. I mean, you know, McGinn's a fine player and he you know was brilliant at the weekend, but he he's a he's a very different player. You know, he's he's an eight. Whereas uh, you know, Greenish was that was that ten essentially. But I, I think I mean Villa do have these long dips in form. They had a fairly disastrous end to a couple of years ago where they had to stay up on the last day. And you know, I, I feel like they always have slumps. At the moment it seems to be a couple of wins, a couple of defeats. Um maybe it that's just more the nature of the Premier League and it, it's hard to be, you know, one of those sort of middle of the pack teams who can go on a run of four or five
2: victories. Maybe this is just the way it is. So, grits, then, let's say it's a reasonably big upheaval at Villa, and they brought in a few players, Ings, Leon Bailey, a few others. Um, Do you think it's a team that once they do click, once they do work it out, they could be as good, if not better, than last season, even without Jack Grealish?
1: Oh, definitely. I I think there are a couple of players who have just finding that they're they're settled back three they do seem to chop and change that a lot lot with Courtney House coming back I know that he's a great defender I think that he'd scored the week before I don't know if he he just wasn't right to be able to play I think you also look at the two goals that they conceded were kind of momentum Mm. goals from Wolves and Wolves are a strong team you know Um, so Let's give Wolves some credit there. It was a derby match. There was a lot of variables involved in that and their form wasn't.
2: We'll talk about Wolves in a minute, Grits, because I think they yeah. we, we, they deserve to have some uh, some light shone yeah. on them, don't they?
1: They do. And I, I, yeah, and I just well I just think, you know, in terms of in terms of uh, Villa's form going into that, they had won the previous two, so it wasn't all bad, but yeah. But yeah. No.
2: No. Good win for Wolves. Absolutely. It's just one of those games, isn't it? It's sort of uh, not that local, but a pretty local derby. At home, you just want to get that one over the line and for to, to capitulate the way, the, the way they did, and it's not like them at all. They are defensively pretty solid, so it was a strange one. Uh, let's talk about Arsenal then. Um, they're at home for this one against Villa. Um, Gareth, did you see Arsenal against Palace in the week? Um, I saw some of the game. I mean,
0: by the end of the you know, a friend of ours was, was at the game and in the Crystal Palace end, and he made the point that it felt like more Crystal Palace fans saw the equaliser than Arsenal fans in terms of, you know, yeah. the amount of people who'd left the stadium at that late, late, point. But I think that also speaks to the fact that, you know, there isn't that much belief in this side that when they're losing, they will necessarily go and get their equaliser. They will go and get, you know, what they do. It's, you know, it, it was previously unfathomable that Arsenal would, would struggle against Crystal Palace. But I, I think going into that game, people were expecting that Palace could do something there, which... I, I think speaks a lot, you yeah. and obviously Arsenal were in crisis when they had a few, a few wins and suddenly, oh, maybe it's okay, but you look at the victories they had, the teams they beat were middling league yeah. the best. They were generally a poor bunch. I, I think. But
2: people flip-flop so much on Arsenal, I think more so than most other teams in the Premier League. People go from being, oh, it's, it's awful, it's, it's over, it's finished, three wins later, you know, well, we could get top four this year. I feel like All fan bases are fickle. We know that. Large elements of them. But Arsenal seems to be next level.
0: Yeah, but I think that maybe speaks to the fact that we don't really know what Arsenal are. I mean, they're neither good nor bad. They're just a middling team. But I think because they're such a big club, there's always this assumption that maybe they're better than they are. Um, So it's... Maybe we're overly surprised when they when they lose, but also when the team is that noted when they do lose a few, that that's where the sort of the hype machine goes into overdrive. I think maybe it's just the case that the media in general and, and and the wider sort of football watching public just have to accept that Arsenal are just, you know, a very, very average team.
2: Yeah, Grits. Um we talked about Arteta at the start of the season when it was all going wrong. Then he sort of stabilized it a little bit. Do you think he's? Uh, do you think he's in, in danger still? We're, we're in a point now of the season where managers are starting to get sacked. We've already seen that. I mean, to be fair, one was Watford, which happens every other week anyway. But and Steve Bruce was probably inevitable. But it now means that if Arsenal do sack Arteta, they're not going to be the guys that pulled the trigger early. You know, they're, people would would sort of understand it. Do you think Arteta is in imminent danger, or is it just sort of medium term danger?
1: I don't think he's in imminent danger because I think that it, this league, if anything, we've seen over the last two seasons, particularly when it was behind closed doors. I mean, how crazy was it? You put a little run together two or three wins and you could just jump up so many places. And I know it's always been tight outside the top six. But I take in a difficult position because fans' expectations now, they want, in, they want inspirational characters. They look to the top and they're like, oh, the, we want a Jurgen Klopp or we want someone that's got this real personality. Because um, that, as much as anything about your tactical nous, you want some sort of... Some someone to rally behind. I, I think potter has got it at Brighton. I think even Fark has got it at Norwich. I think these guys that have a very affable Hassan Hootle. Hassan Huttal definitely got it. There's there's something about the you know that Arteta that is lacking, and and fans are quick to turn on managers, particularly with the way that they react. He's quite truculent and he gets a little bit spiky with um, the media whenever he's put under duress. Rather than hold his hands up, I think some fans are a bit more accepting of that. Um, so he's got that. He's got a he certainly got a charm and PR offensive on his hands, but you know, a club like Arsenal should be expecting more of its big players, and if not, signing the right big players to replace them. And I don't know that he signed. I don't think his um, the players that he signed in the summer have, have made an impact or been or been impressive enough to say, satisfy the fan base.
2: But I, I I wonder about this all the time. Like I just don't know how much say managers really have anymore. I mean, obviously they 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 probably get the the final refusal on whether they sign a player or not. But is it not more down to sort of directors of football? And I mean, Edu at Arsenal seems to be the one taking the brunt of the criticism online. Is it not more him that makes those decisions? I've got no idea. I mean, help me out here, Gareth. I, I mean, I, I have no idea. I think obviously it
0: does structurally change from, from club to club. Sometimes I think, um, you make a point, you know, the sporting director gets, gets, Gets uh, pellets on social media. Sometimes I think that's just fans trying to show how much they know about the club structures. Yeah. Like, well, clearly the issues not with the managers, it's with the sporting director. Everyone knows that. Uh-huh. Yeah, you really need to look at the chain of organisation. It's nonsense. You know, ultimately, it's. Uh, I think with Arsenal, you know, structurally they just seem quite rotten. I, I think when you start with a. Seemingly apathetic owner who is happy for his club to stay in the Premier League and you know swim around mid-table, maybe get some Europa Cups, a bit of a cup run, and he can just uh, just coin it on the TV money. That the issue is just going to stay. You, know, it doesn't matter how good your sporting director is, if you don't really have the budget to compete, you can't keep pulling out twenty million pound players and have them turn into hundred million pound players. If everyone could do that, then well, you know it would be easy. It's uh usually the kind of hit rate there uh, you know, maybe two or three out of ten and that's sustained you. I mean, Spurs tried to do that uh, for the last ten years and you know, it happens with an Ericsson and then most of the time it doesn't happen with people like Soldado and you know, even Tanguy you know, and who's you know, we broke our transfer record and two two years later it's like people still don't know if he's any good. So it's really <laughs> hard competing in that marketplace, you know, it's, and as long as Arsenal, you know, essentially have put those, those limiters on, on what they're going to do. I I don't know whether the sporting director is the problem or, or whatever. It's dead, dead, dead mired in mediocre, mediocrity.
2: Yeah. It feels grits like Arsenal have never really been further away than the top four than they are currently. Doesn't it? I, I can't see much progress. I mean, you look at someone like when Ferguson left United, United had those wilderness years but they were never that far away from the top four, you know. They had a couple of years, maybe seventh or something. But it was only—it was always within eighteen months they were there or thereabouts again. Arsenal, I just feel like they are just a mid-table team. They're just—they are, you know, maybe slightly better than that. Maybe sort of who are their competitors at the minute, Grits? Who Who are Arsenal's reasonable competitors? And going forward, how long do you see that happening?
1: Listen, I think it comes down to, certainly my experience when I played, it comes down to when you join a club, it could be on parity with another club. So I I, went, I joined Chesterfield. The expectation for Chesterfield was to go up. Uh, the expectation from Macclesfield, where I left, was to stay up. Now, we were level in the table with Chesterfield, but because the mood of the fans and the atmosphere of the club is totally skewed by that. Now, Arsenal, a perfect example, Arsenal's expectations are to be top six. So anything that doesn't fulfill that is constantly disappointing. Now if you put uh, you I don't know, you mix that with say, let's see another team that's around them. Um I don't know, you I wouldn't even say Villa. I'd say someone like Brentford. Brentford, the expectation is let's stay up. So they get they're forgiven any any um you know minor discretions yeah, or like kind of mistakes, you can ride with the bank now I'm not saying that those uh, there's a no yeah, so statement here. Yeah of course. Yeah, but it just means that everything is viewed through that lens. And I think Arsenal right now is just like, because nah, it, it's just been a kind of a succession of, you know, Emery. I mean, whether he was a good manager or not, no one would ever have kind of found out because you're, you're worried about what was actually going on in the dressing room. Again, we'll come back to the owners because Gareth made a good point on that. It's like, if you've got an apathetic owner, then you're kind of stuffed. You know, you need some sort of synergy between, the,
2: you know, at that level. I agree with all of this, Gritz, but the problem is that. Arsenal haven't been successful for a long time. All right, they won the FA Cup recently. But they've not been a successful top four, top five club for a long time. So how long does it take for the fans and the people involved to recalibrate those expectations? The, the, the comparison with Brentford is a good one right now. But realistically, it's relative, isn't it? They're, com- they're completely different ends of the spectrum in terms of what they expect from, from their Premier League campaigns.
1: Well, yeah, but you, you're a Derby fan. You tell me. Sheffield Wednesday fans, Forest fans n- from the 1990s... Coventry City fans, fans that were clubs that were just like, oh, we're we're the kind of plucky outsiders. We're the rogue left field team that actually can stay in this league because we're good enough and then one thing happens and you plummet and you never get back. And guess what? Those fans are still miserable as sin and licking their wounds from those (laughs) things and have never said we're a championship club. We always subscribe to more. You get the leads are a perfect example of that. It's the it's the football condition, isn't it? It's, it's so crushingly, it uh, it's so crushingly disappointment with the occasional peak ties. But, um, you know, I'll, Garrett, awesome. go, let's bring Gareth in because he's a Spurs
0: fan. <laughs> Why, thank you. I, I was actually <laughs> thinking that um, Newcastle might be the best version of that given that they were a title-challenging team in the 90s and then spent all of the 90s and the early 2000s being a strong competitive team who would just start sliding and sliding and then... One day, you know, one season they got relegated, and they, you know, they've never really, until now, been back since. So maybe, if you want to look at a worst-case scenario trajectory for Arsenal, they they can follow, you know, Newcastle from nineteen ninety-two to two thousand and ten, and see how it all kind of ends up as a slow decline.
2: Okay, I mean,
0: love that. Yeah,
2: let's go go to a break and think about that, shall we? Uh, After which we'll talk about Leeds against Wolves and a brilliant and genuinely super Sunday. Welcome back to the show. Right, Gareth, uh, let's talk about Leeds United versus Wolves. We've not talked about Leeds that much this season. Um, it's not been great, has it? Uh, describe to me in in broad strokes the way you've seen Wolves, uh, you've seen Leeds this season, and if you have any fears for them uh, going forward, given the sort of murder ball training techniques they use.
0: But it's, I, I know it's it's an easy narrative to so say, you can't keep doing it for too long and... The Elsa's teams always end up fading away, but usually they start each season fresh and looking good, and then it's you know two thirds away through the season, they run out of gas. They that didn't happen last season, you know. That was what really kind of astonished people, or at least proved the doubt was wrong. That they they seemed strong and they kept going. And but this year they they just seem a little bit off the pace. And it's been noted that maybe they aren't pressing quite as hard, or there isn't naturally the same energy there as as was in um last year. So I don't know whether that's is a knock on effect of a long summer for a lot of players, people like Calvin Phillips who's currently missing, but obviously play through some of England. You know, Bamford is is injured. They have been unfortunate with some injuries. You know, they lost uh, you know Cock at the back and
2: Calvin Phillips very, has been out.
0: Calvin Phillips is out they've had Rafinha
2: uh, off to international duty and back well, and this missing it. games. So it,
0: it may just be an unsettled Starting lineup, you know, and Leeds are a very tight, small squad. um So unless you know their best fifteen or sixteen players are available, they might struggle. Or if you want to continue the narrative, say, "Oh, well, it didn't catch up with them last year, but turns out in the second season they're, they're they, they've they've come into season fatigued." It's it's hard to tell. I mean, I I think there is probably the benefit of the doubt to be also that he will be able to right the ship, but it's one of those. We, we each year there is a club where you get to October, November and you say, they'll be fine, they'll be fine. And then suddenly it's, uh, you know, January or February. You're like, they might not be fine. Um I remember, you know, last year with Sheffield United, and that, that's obviously a worst case scenario. There was for a while a disbelief going, well, wow, they can't be this bad after being so good the previous year and it is almost an acceptance, you know. And you're to, like, no, 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 they can, they can be no, worse. Exactly, than yeah. Suddenly yeah. it suddenly dawns in, you're like, oh God, they might be awful. And uh, I don't think Leeds are in that position. But if they lose a couple more, if they fail to pick up some wins, then you know the table doesn't like, they will be in a very tough position. You,
2: you, you know someone's doing badly when Derby County start trending because everyone's talking about, oh, they're going to break Derby's record. Um Grits, as a player, if you start the season fatigued, is it possible to play through that and come out the other end and maintain a certain level? Or is it just the only way of dealing with this is rest?
1: Well, no, I think the only way of dealing with this is getting, unfortunately, you change your management. So um yeah. I, don't, I don't want BLC to go and I don't think he should go. I just... What generally stops the rot is players, f- the fear of God put into players again and having someone new come in and having a system. These players are loyal to the manager. That's fine. Unless the club are going to invest massively for January because I genuinely feel, sorry to go on off a tangent here, I think no. Norwich are going to start winning games, right? Norwich have had a really tough opener. Hear, here hear me out. Hear me Strap out. In, everybody. <laughs> uh, opening games, they start the season with brutal, right? The last two games... Uh, both clean sheets, not really look like conceding and both and should have won both games. All right? So I think once Norwich start winning games, then you're going to look at Leeds. If Leeds go below Norwich, because it's quite easy, they only six points, because um, Norwich are a solid, well-set-up outfit. If they start scoring worse, I know Norwich are the weakest team uh, on paper. L- 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 let, me just,
2: on paper. L- let me just go through some, some uh, fixtures coming up, Grits, and you can tell me where they're going to get points. I don't disagree with you, by the way. Yeah. I'm just interested That's- in the way you think. So Chelsea away this weekend. We yeah. can maybe write that one off. Yeah. Um, Home to not home to uh, Leeds. There you go. That's that's doable. Away at Brentford. Yep. Well, it's a tough game, but there's nothing to fear. Go on. Okay. Well there is there is. Um Southampton at home. See, this is the problem. Norwich is Norwich is the sort of team where and I've been, been through this with Derby in the Premier League. The the big teams, you you just go there and have a nice day out because it's a free hit. It's the games like Southampton at home, the games like Brentford away. At the start of the season, you'd have circled that one and said, here's somewhere we can get points. That's when the pressure's on, and that's where if you don't get the points in those games, and we're still early in the season, but that's when heads start to drop, isn't it? So I'm thinking yeah, they- if they can get through this little run now with some points, fine. If they can't, it could be just a very slippery slope for them.
1: Yeah, I agree. But the points are built on um, the team coming through. Clean sheets are such a big thing in the Premier League. Because they were leaking goals, they'll look at this and go, all we have to do is put the ball in the other and I know it's obvious it, is it? But if we start scoring goals, they haven't scored. No one's scored apart from Pookie. They're going to start coming good. There's something. They'll have a little run. And if they win a couple of games, I'm just putting out there now, because at Christmas time, I want us to go, oh, my God, Grits was right. Or Leon, I would like you to remove this, Leon, our producer. Um, or oh, we can say, can <laughs> we take Grits taken off the podcast, please? <laughs> well, I'm just saying things like that are an issue for Leeds, because Leeds again, just seem to be kind of boom-bust in the matches. You don't quite know what's going to happen. Unfortunately, the the boom part last year, you had players like Rafina Bamford uh, producing the goods. You had players, you were relying on people like Dallas to score goals from midfield. You know, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of people chipping in. I mean, Dan James has come in. He hasn't really added a lot so far. You know, he had a good chance at the weekend and you're like going, well you've got to have an impact, son. You're coming in, you yeah, know, 20 yeah, odd million yeah. and that's what we need and, you know, Man you just shows you why they were so quick to get rid of him.
2: Good for you as well. Uh, okay, they're playing Wolves though, Leeds, so let's talk about them for a, a brief moment before we just go all Bielsa heavy. Um, Gareth, that comeback, we sort of mentioned it earlier on talking about Villa, but that comeback was, feels like it could be a defining moment for them going forward, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, it was sensational and it, it, it Put the cherry on top of a, a really good month for wolves you know they've quietly gone about winning some games they had a they had a very up and down start but you know a new manager a club that was coming off a very you know rough previous season it, maybe it's not too surprising that they, they, they didn't come out like the clappers but they've now won their last three Premier League games they won four out yep. of five uh Bruno Lage um you know looks like a very you know astute, competent manager, and it, again, it's one of those ones that it's when he came in. I, I think the majority of, of Premier League fans had no idea who he was, so there was always, that, and well, well, who are, who are this team that have been struggling? Have they made the right appointment? And you know, give it two months to bed in, and and suddenly they, they look good, and it's a reminder that they have been such a well built team over the last two, two three years. You know, they part of the reason why. They, they were well managed and well curated by uh, uh, by Nuno, but I think partly they've just been really well put together. Um, yeah, and now that players are coming right. back, and you know, people like Daniel Podence are back, coming off the bench. Obviously, with that huge impact. Raul Jimenez is looking like he's back from. He was obviously not a factor in the uh, game against Villa because he'd had that long. Trip back and 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 busy midweek breaker uh, sorry midweek uh, international series with uh with Mexico but the fact that they can bring these players on is you know yeah. is, is really promising given that you look at you know nine months ago and they they barely had a striker to to
2: to put up on the pitch and Huang hee Chan looks good as well Trincao looks like he'd be able to offer something um when Never scored the winning goal against Villa at the weekend it was that deflected free kick and it is my favourite sound in football you know normally when the when a ball is hit from a free kick. As it goes over the wall, the, the, the distance between over the wall and what happens next, i.e. over the bar or in the goal or whatever, the sort of silence that you have in the stadium. But it's even better when it's deflected and it rolls in so slowly because the silence was felt like you know 10 seconds long. It's minus sound. It's not even silence. It's like a vacuum has sucked all the sound out. Anyway, I just wanted to say that. It was like watching a <laughs> tank roll through Tiananmen Square slowly. Look at that. It takes a swig of his drink. A delicious Carabao while he says it. Uh, let's talk about um, Sunday's games. We ain't got long left on the podcast, but uh, we've got to talk about these. It's a really, really good Sunday coming up. We'll start grits uh, with a club that you know well, West Ham at home to a club you know very well, Gareth. Spurs, West Ham, Spurs. Take it away, grits. This should be a cracker, shouldn't it?
1: Well, it should. But you've got uh, you've got West Ham playing in the Europa this week, and you know I know that uh, Spurs are as well, but uh, West Ham seems to be. Uh, yeah, uh, well, you know what I mean. There's playing in Europe, and um, it's just the hangover from that. is a is a slight issue for West Ham at the minute. So they need to, whether Moyes plays a slightly different team against Genk and uh, looks to keep it fresh for Sunday. But you know, it's an it's an early kickoff as you said, and I just I would like to think West Ham, um, you know, have have worked out a slightly different pre-match routine. But who knows? Let let's see. But, but you know, Spurs have had their, their own issues, and you know what they did against Newcastle is actually quite impressive considering they turned that round so quickly under that pressure I know that Newcastle capitulated quite quickly as well but um, you know in terms of going up there and, uh, and ruining the, the goal party, down
2: straight away yeah yeah I think that, that was that that's some good fortitude from them finally yeah finally Gareth what, what, did, you, what did you make of it how are you feeling
0: it, it, it was really really fun to watch because I don't think any other club would let Spurs his attackers have so much of the ball and just stand there and be like okay fine it was, you know, Newcastle was so passive. It was unbelievable. You know, they don't press. And, you know, Spurs' attackers are excellent. Their midfield's middling. Their defence is pretty poor. So the idea of saying, well, let's just let their attack, you know, have their way is is just, you know, it... I mean, I would have sacked Steve Bruce purely on the basis of of, of that of that um that approach to that game, but it. It was really good to see. You know, Ndombélé was was fantastic, and Kane scores a brilliant goal, and, and and suddenly looks like the player he hasn't looked like for six months. But it's so hard to judge whether Spurs have turned the corner based on based on that Newcastle game because of because of the opposition. But what what's interesting with the game on Sunday is that um, Spurs are playing away in the Europa Conference, and they are not sending any of the players who played against Newcastle on the trip. They're oh, staying back. Um, oh, there you and go. Essentially, and I guess uh, West Ham are playing at the London Stadium, right? In the, on Thursday. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I uh, obviously they realize that you know Spurs would be at much greater disadvantage to, to have them travel. So he's I, I'm not sure he's forfeiting the game, but he's certainly saying, well, you know, my reserves need to do need to show why they should be in consideration for the uh, for the first team. And and obviously he's decided that a, a league game against West Ham is more important than uh, a Europa Conference game and I think most Spurs fans would agree
2: well, I think so the difference is this week you're not playing against a, uh, a tactically inept cabbage head as uh, Steve Bruce was described by himself weirdly <laughs> Um, of course, Awful poster. yeah you got to feel sorry for him haven't you but at the same time it sort of felt inevitable um, well, Let's talk about was... Brentford Leicester Oh great! have you got time? Oh, no, yeah no I was just about to say that I just wanted to rattle through the most uninspiring
1: list of next managers have you seen the list <laughs> for Newcastle? In, no. um, so, uh, uh Lampard, Man- presumably? yeah, absolutely. Got Mancini and Rogers at 28 to 1. I mean, neither of them are going to come. Mourinho 25 to 1. Graham Potter 25 to 1. Um, mm. Frank That's Lampard 20 to 1. Steven Gerrard 18 to 1. Favre 7 to 1. Eddie Howe 9 to 2. And Paolo Fonseca slammed on favorite. So, I mean, it's
2: you know, Eddie Howe, more like Eddie Why. Yeah, <laughs> very good. It's not bad yeah, stuff. I can see it happening. Yeah, well, we, I mean, it, it's. I don't think they're going to get an elite manager straight away. I think Potter would be a fantastic shout, but I mean, he's got a great, he's got a great thing going on at the minute. Why would he ever leave Brighton at the moment? He looks, you know, they they, they are an, an excellent side, and it, yeah. you're, you're, you're sort of going to Newcastle feels like. Uh, first of all, morally, do you want to do it? Okay, if you do, fine. If you don't, I understand, but. I, I don't feel like they're an ownership that will give you time. Um, I know we don't know much about them, but just from their track record as a country, I don't think they're going to give you a lot of leeway. <laughs> yeah, I just don't see it. But we're running out of time. We're running out of time. Everyone shut up. Uh, let's do Brentford-Leicester, and then we'll finish on United-Liverpool, which uh, staggeringly is is the last game we're covering. Uh, but Brentford-Leicester, um, huge win at the weekend for Leicester. I thought they were really good against a pretty poor United. Um Again, I mean, similar to the to the Wolves one, this feels like it has to be a season-defining moment, doesn't it, Gareth?
0: Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, with Leicester, they politely choose wins, and then sometimes they'll struggle. But the, we know they have the quality. that That first team is fantastic, and when when Vardy is playing well, then he can still raise that team up a level. And with Brentford, you know, I I thought they did they did pretty well against Chelsea. It was it was a tough game. I thought in the last twenty minutes they really. Put the pressure on they really push chelsea um this is i i guess you know the exciting new team coming up against the team that you know ruffled feathers a few years ago but are now almost part of the establishment well, it should certainly be considered yeah, yeah. that they've been good enough long enough and um whoever if someone wins this game is going to end up around you know that 13 14 point mark and will suddenly be around the top seven so that that that's got to be I mean, that's the least that Leicester are expecting from this season. And I think for Leicester, that, that's the minimum place they expect to be this season. And for Brentford to be up there would be absolutely incredible.
2: Grits, are Brentford just going to run out of steam? Is just being too too uh, simplistic?
0: Now Brentford are going to steal Leicester's lunch on Sunday
1: because uh, Leicester are away in Spartak, Moscow. Uh, and we all know that that's, a, that's a, t- a long journey and a tough place to go. And after the Man United exploits, I reckon they're just going to do the, what they did to West Ham. Brentford came to West Ham after the Europa and were just, the last 10 minutes, just relentless. And it's, it's what it's what happens, you know. So I think, um, yeah, I think Brentford are, are good for this season anyway, Mark. What, what are
2: you smacking at? I'm smacking because my music came on in the background. I'm not sure why. An absolute disaster of technology in the last minute.
1: Shambolic. I got got a call come
2: through and I declined it and then my music started playing. I don't know what's going on. Someone at Apple, give me a shout. Give me some money. Uh, Right, last game we're going to talk about. It's the big one, Gareth. It's the big one. It's United against Liverpool. doesn't matter where these two teams are ever. This is always a big game. Um, I don't know what to say about United. we talked about them quite a bit this season. Um, Just, I mean, it is just really poor from them at the moment. I watched Derby County last night um, under the management of Wayne Rooney at the moment and um, they've got a very cohesive plan of what they want to do. The other reason I'm mentioning this is that when you compare it to United's current manager, it just feels like chalk and cheese. And Rooney's got a lot less experience than Solskjaer. And to me, it's like the the most... Sim- I guess the, the thing you expect most of all The least you expect from a manager is after a couple of years, or a few years now, to have a plan. And he still doesn't really seem to have one. He's made wonderful signings, but they don't necessarily gel together. They've not had that much time together, but they look like strangers on the pitch. Gareth, are you, as an outsider looking in, are you finding plenty of glee in this, I imagine? But do you also think that a good manager coming in would just elevate this team straight away?
0: Yeah, I do. I I think that even even someone who improves the team by 15-20%, uh which it feels like a good manager could do, would have them essentially as a you know, a genuine title contender based on based on the majority of the, the squad and their you know, their very best, you know, five or six players are, are, are just amazing and I I have been enjoying the um the 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 Trials and travails of 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 Man United like because just because Solskjaer is quite puffed up, isn't he?
2: Yeah, um, he's definitely he feeling. He's feeling some, some pressure now as well. I think it feels. It seems like
0: yes. And seeing how he reacts, to that is quite, is quite interesting. I, I think he's you know when he does these... the interview he did, uh, which I saw a match of the day after. The game he's going to go we should be better than this and it's like the fact that he's saying that is you know is a real issue who are you he, talking to you know, who is it the he's he's transferring the blame onto the players seemingly he, he's sort of giving the impression that he's like well you know we, we've had wake up calls we you know we've had warnings they should know better than this it's like well this is your job as a manager to make sure that these mistakes don't happen but, like, but there th- are, moments, are basic thing
2: there are moments where players get the ball and Obviously, he knows more about football than I do. That goes to that saying. This is nonsense for me to really be commenting Chelsea. at all. Well, Chelsea. yes, he does. No. So Sancho, there's most so Sancho got the ball, for example, and there's just there is no movement off him. There's nothing off him. And, and you, you look at Bayern, you look at Borussia Dortmund, and you think, oh yeah, well that's a really well drilled attack. Like well, they're playing, they're 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 essentially playing like the NFL in terms of they're running plays. They've got these plans. They've got these um, passages of play and these patterns of play that the players understand they can all buy into. Whereas at United, it's like, and I mentioned it a few weeks ago, it's this hero ball thing. It's just, right, you're really good at football, just go and do something great. And, you know, you will get goals from that, but you're not going to get... United's floor is so low because they don't have any real cogent idea of what to do. So their ceiling's enormously high because they've got these wonderful players. Whereas Man City, their floor is still 7 out of 10 because they've got these... they, They know what they're doing tactically. And I think it's just been a bit of a disaster. Having said that, and I still will defend Solskjaer on this, they're in a much better place now than as a club than they were when he took over. And I think that is something to be said for that. In terms of the club, the players they've got, the, the sort of buoyancy of the the fan base again, I think that is that is impressive. Um, and there's something to be said for that, isn't there, Gritz? Yeah, the only
1: thing I'd add on that, Mark, is a uh, friend of the pod, Miguel Delaney's piece, which you may have seen or may have been citing about Sancho, or just even the way he talked about him, saying I didn't that see about that. structure... Yeah, really, he's mirroring kind of what you said there, Great just saying minds. he needs to plan. He needs to be part of a structure. Also, Sancho doesn't really know these players in a match day scenario. Yeah, a playing on the a, a training ground is very different. But yeah, I'd I'd love to be a fly in the wall, just see what they do work on. Because as you're absolutely right, Man City's floor is a seven because they work on that game. They don't just work on their shape. They work on yeah. the shape they're going to use in that game that weekend a bit and relentlessly. So so um yeah. Uh, could do better if we were giving him a grade. Absolutely, uh, you know, show would expect better from him. But you know, I think they've got to they've got to move on to to modernise. But how many managers are there out there that can, well, that can take on a club like Man United? Part of the problem. Uh, and There's
2: the only ones out there, I mean, you think of Conte, but <laughs> it's defensive stuff, and it also negates United's best players, which are traditionally attacking wide players. He's not going to be doing that. Um, Gareth, let's talk about Liverpool. They've got probably the best player in the world at the moment in Mo Salah, uh, and Mane is not far behind him. Again, um, they look the real deal again. Uh, this Liverpool side—it's it, very hard not to love them, right? Uh, I mean they look
0: absolutely outrageous. Um, it is ridiculous, and the number of goals that front three have contributed in the first first couple of months is is stunning. Usually, they pick up pace during the season, and if they maintain the pace they're at, it's it's curtains for most teams. I mean, they. They assaulted Watford. It it was brutal. Um, Watford may have been the perfect opposition for them in terms of how sort of sluggish and you know how sort of uh, they're not a quick team that can uh, can keep up with you know a right hand side with people like Salah and uh, um Alexander Arnold. But it's it's funny how quickly things move in football. And I think over the last year we forgot how good that best version of Liverpool from a few years ago were. And now that they've got you know people like van Dijk back they've got a full complement of defenders they can play on the front foot they don't have to sort of drop deep because they're so worried about you know shipping goals you know this is this is back to the, the perfect iteration in Klopp's mind of, of of this Liverpool team and you know when they when they do hit the accelerator they are they're stunning how about how about for mane as well being totally uh, um cock-blocked by
1: uh, Salah, just going into the top three African players to score under goals in the Premier League, and then another one of them is the guy standing alongside you who's just got a few more than you. I mean, that's I mean, still going to flare up,
0: isn't it? Let's go. tell flare you, but, but you know things are going well because they aren't even shooting each other dagger eyes at the moment. Yes, they're they're this, living uh, relatively happily. Firmino is big. Uh,
1: toothy Grin is just uh keeping them apart at the minute. But yeah, well, he's I'm glad again. lovely to see him back.
2: Love that player. They're, they're, they're all just firing and they look so solid at the back. And then new, um, new centre back they got from Leipzig. Remind me uh Canate Kanate. He's barely played a game yet because they've it, mm. they've got so many top quality centre backs. It's the opposite to last season. They just they've got so much strength and depth now. And then midfield, you look at that midfield and you think, well. On paper, it doesn't look that flashy, you know. Henderson, Milner, maybe Caters in there, maybe it's Jones, but they just work great. They work so well as a as a unit. Obviously, I've missed out Fabinho there, who I think is one of those top top players. Um, but generally, they're sort of a bit more workmanlike. But this is it. Klopp has got a framework; they no, can again, all play to it. Again, again we're
0: surprised that and you know uh, Henderson coming in has has helped so much because you're like, oh, it's Henderson, but. He was the you know the the football rights player of the year two seasons ago eighteen months ago. Yeah,
2: right. I mean, you know, it,
0: it it's it's it doesn't matter. That, like you said, he's not the flashiest footballer ever. But you know how quickly we forget. You know he was brilliant. He was so instrumental in that title winning season. why why should we be surprised that his return absolutely coincides with a stabilised and and dynamic-looking team. Well,
2: look, the, the takeaway is United are shit, Liverpool are incredible, so United will probably win the game on uh, Sunday. Uh, right, gents, that's what we've got time for this week on the Whistleblowers. Gareth, anything to plug quickly? Uh, only the same as usual. Go see some shows. Griff tour starting this week. Go and get tickets. Lovely stuff. Lovely. Right, we'll be back same time, same place here on the Whistleblowers. If you want to advertise on or sponsor
1: this show, check us out at playbackmedia.com Dot dot UK.
2: Sports Social Podcast Network.